Welcome to the Worship Central Podcast. We are passionate to see the worship and creativity of churches throughout the world set on fire. Join us as we explore what this might look like. suspension the and the worship central <laughs> podcast is back after four years we're so excited uh, to be together with you we hope you enjoy the worship central podcast back in the game back in the game who is in the room anna hellebronth nick drake Woo. nick herbs who luke. will be known as herbs so we don't get confused between the two nicks luke hellebronth and my name is tim hughes for those who are new to worship central worship central has a vision to train and equip worship leaders and musicians we talk about wanting to encounter god to equip the worshiper and to empower the local church so we really hope this podcast will be something that fuels your worship inspires you and equips you in all that you're doing so we hope you enjoy it yeah and we're so pumped to be relaunching this podcast um back in the day uh, people were subscribing it was one of their highlights i'm i'm told um so thank you you. Um, and so it's great to be relaunching this and um, each episode we're going to be hitting up um, things, topics around theology of worship, um, things that we think every worship leader, worship pastor should be thinking, discussing, uh, songwriting and we're going to have a guest interview. Uh, we're also going to be interviewing someone who we feel just carries worship, not necessarily musically, but just that overflow of worship in their day to day lives. So loads of exciting stuff planned and um, we would love you guys to subscribe on iTunes and hit it up on Spotify as well. It's going to be great. So next up in the episode, we've got a live chat. Tim, um, so much has changed. Uh, so much has happened since um, the last episode of um, the West Central podcast. Tell us a little bit, and this obviously links into what we're going to be uh, talking about now, but tell us a little bit about the story. You know, last time we were doing the episode, we were in London at HTB. Um, and so what's happened since then? Yeah, so three and a half years ago, all of us around the table, we moved from London uh, to plant a church in Birmingham called Gas Street. And it's been a really exciting adventure. We kind of felt this call to plant a church uh, to really reach the city of Birmingham, but also to kind of um, build a community of worshippers. And we talk a lot about being a church that gathers and scatters. We want to gather uh, around God's presence yeah. in our Sundays, um, spend time worshiping God passionately. Uh, as a worship leader, still to lead a church, it's exciting to see what happens when people encounter the presence of God through worship, through prayer and ministry. And it's been amazing to see so many people come yeah. to Christ as we've just created space for worship. But also, a church has to be a community that scatters, that also reaches the city, lives out its worship yeah. day to day. And so, this kind of tension uh, has been really, really exciting. And uh, one of the other things that's been exciting is to see Worship Central now really being embedded in the local church of Gastry, being able to uh, resource worship leaders, um, a home for all the training, the Worship Central Academy, running things like the week, all of these amazing things to kind of have a church, a home where we can really fuel the fire of worship feels exciting. So yeah. this topic of worship evangelism, gathering, scattering is really something we're fully immersed in currently. Mm, amazing. And um, Drakey, Dr. Drake in the room with Thank us. You. 
PhD, Mr. PhD. Yeah. Hello. Ooh. <laughs> Watch and learn. <laughs> um, so bring some bring some meat to these bones. Lovely. Um, around <laughs> worship and mission, worship and evangelism. We would love to hear from you. Well, that's a great intro, Luke, because I was going to touch Thank on you. Ezekiel Ooh. and the dry bones. Oh, the yeah. spirit is yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. The spirit is here. So yeah, no, it's it's fascinating. When you look at scripture, there's always been this outward dimension of yeah. worship, you know, and, and obviously worship captures our heart. God captures our heart. We want to go up and in towards him. This notion of intimacy that um, Wimber brought through the vineyard movement, you know, the, the idea of encounter that we all love and know that we want God's presence. But there's always been this outward dimension. And so you see it like the call of Moses, mm. um, Exodus 19.5, you know, you're going to be a, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. So right from the start, in God's heart, has been a people of God and the presence of God, moving in the power of God for others. Because mm. a priest helps others draw near to God. Right, yeah. So there's this outward dimension. And then one of my favorite passages, Ezekiel 47, this image of the restored worship of Israel, mm. focused around the temple, so this kind of idea of coming in, but then this twist in the tale in Ezekiel 47 is the river flows out. Yeah. So there's this river of life that flows out. Wherever it goes, it brings healing. It brings life. It turns the Dead Sea fresh so stuff can live in it. Mm. And so again, there's this outward dimension that, and I think what that says to me is that whenever we come into God in dedicated time and space of adoration and praise and thanksgiving, we're being sent out with him as well because he's a missionary God. That's great. Yeah, so he's a missionary God. We know from Luke 15, his heart is for the lost, for the one, for those outside, the weak, the marginalized, all through the Psalms. He's a father to the fatherless. You know, James 1 speaks about the kind of religion God accepts being to look after the orphan and the widow. So the closer we get to his heart and when we give him our hearts in worship, we get his heart. When we look to him, we get what he's looking at Mm. back. And one way just to land this, I think that theologians talk about to kind of make it easy to understand, apply to our lives is it's been talked of as a bike, like two pedals. Biblical worship is a bike with adoration pedal and action pedal. Mm. And if you press down on adoration, the action pedal comes up and then you press down on that and then you get this rhythm. And that is true biblical worship. And that leads to a life of true biblical impact in the world. Mm. And if you just press down on one pedal, you have limited impact. If you just press down on adoration, uh, there isn't a river flowing out. Mm. <laughs> you know, that's the danger. If you just press down on action, you know, what marks us out as different to anyone else, which was Moses's worry in Exodus 30, um, 33, you know, unless your presence goes with us. Mm. So that's what I've been thinking about. And I think it's yeah. a really important thing for us as, as worship leaders, worship musicians to to get the bigger sense of for the church. Yeah, great. I mean, I'd love to ask Anna, because Anna um, kind of been the worship pastor at Gas Street for the last three and a half years. This kind of action, adoration, how have you tried to encourage the worship team? Obviously, there's a lot of investment in terms of worship, the adoration, but also to engage in the action part of their holistic approach to worship. Yeah, this is something we've been trying to get our heads around for I'd say actually almost a year or so. And initially it was very much sort of, you know, we as the worship team, you know, we, we need to lead people into the presence of God and count and all that. But also that's got to go beyond the walls of the church. So mm-hmm. what does that look like in each of our lives? So, you know, encouraging um, encouraging the team to like 
what does it look like for you to lead an encounter moment in an Uber, a taxi, or mm. at a school gate? Or And actually, the stories were incredible, yeah. you know, stories of guys praying for people and being filled with the Spirit, you know, giving their lives to Jesus, like absolutely amazing. But then Tim and I were also having this conversation around, but what does it look like to take our literal musical form of worship and put it out? onto the streets and initially Mm. I was like well why would you do that it'd be so socially awkward and embarrassing (laughs) for everyone but actually if we really believe that worship changes atmospheres then let's do it you know and if you look at the Salvation Army that's what they've been modeling for years so um, this last term we've done that and partially God's been speaking to us as well we've had loads of prophetic words around literally taking our musical form of worship out onto the streets Mm. so we've done that as a staff um, team and as a worship team and and it's been amazing, you know, and, and I mean, I, to be honest, I'm not quite sure what we're doing, but it, it's an act of obedience. And what we're seeing is um, people engage with that outside who have no idea what we're doing, you know, so the most amazing conversations, starting opportunities to pray for people, um, people then coming along to church regularly. Um, uh, yeah, just these amazing God encounters happening. So yeah. we're, we're on a journey with that, we're, you know. Not quite sure, but That's brilliant. How do we? Um, this is, I guess, something that where my head goes with this whole thing. Think about set lists, songwriting, song choice. I mean, I know for us, a big song has been this song, "Stir a Passion," which actually Nick and Anna, you guys were a part of writing. And I guess this whole sense of overflow, and that's a word that we've used a lot. What do what do you guys think about? Um, how this whole thing around worship and mission going together and not being a divide, but actually um, hopefully running hand in hand, how does that affect our set list? Maybe, Drake, you first, like in terms of thinking liturgically, how should these things be paired in the adoration um, arena or spectrum? How should it, how should it work as a practical outworking mm. with song? That's a great question, Luke. Um, Thank you. You know, and again, theologically, I guess the spirit, there's this sense of, you know, when we pray, come Holy Spirit, and, and we, we, our songs contain that prayer. Mm. Um, and that's because we're hungry for the empowering presence of God. We know we don't want to strive and do stuff in our own strength. And part of that theologically is that the spirit, the terminus of the spirit is never in the room. It's out in the world. So what do you mean by terminus? The, the end point where the bus goes, yeah. the destination of the train, yeah. the end of your car journey is out. And so in some sense, every work, gathered worship service has to have that pattern where we're ending being sent out. Right. You know, so in Anglican tradition, obviously that, that you end with this blessing moment, this kind of sending out in the power of the spirit moment. Mm. Um, but we can find ways to do that in non-liturgical settings as well, you know, mm. but that should always be that sense of we've come, we've gathered around the cross. We've, we've been Christ-centered to the glory of the Father, but then there's this spirit sending us out dimension that mm. should happen in our, in our song choices and the way the set flows um, and so forth. I lo- love one church apparently had over the oh, door yeah. where everyone would leave, you know, the exit door, a big sign that said, you are now entering a time of worship as you step out into mm. the street. And, and I love that. I guess I sometimes feel the other danger can be uh, there's so much emphasis rightly about a holistic life of worship that we slightly undervalue the importance of God's people gathering together for that encounter yeah. be on a Sunday whenever you meet. And that yeah. actually the, the power of that, that this isn't just a, you know, go through the motions, but actually transformation happens. Yeah. 
yeah. in those times. Yeah. yeah. Well, those times of song of worship are fuel for mission, aren't they? And, and mission then acts as kind of testimony that empowers back gathered worship, you know? Mm. And, and so I think there is that, again, not that bike, bike analogy. Yeah. That's where you get the power. They both fuel one another yeah. mm. and uh, are so essential for this true biblical life of worship mm. that you have both. And in, in song worship, you know, in my life, that's where y- you get expanded by the Lord. You know, you see things that you wouldn't have seen before. You have bravery and boldness in the spirit that you naturally wouldn't have. Mm. So when you step out through the door into the world, um, back into everyday life, you, you're different. You've been mm. transformed because you've spent time in the Lord's presence in a dedicated time and space. And I guess that's, you know, people talk about when we lead worship, it being vertical and horizontal. And I guess what you're saying there is it's important that we have enough vertical worship in our times, right? Where right. we catch a glimpse of who God is again. Right. Oh yeah. He's, he's huge. <laughs> yeah. He's, um, he's got a huge heart for the world. That's it. And, and so that leads us to go out and, outwork that through our lives yeah and that's the pattern you see again and again like isaiah 6 you know he sees the lord he gets sent out the disciples themselves the pattern of jesus how he worked yeah you know they come follow him they leave behind follow him spend dedicate time space with him and then sent out so one of the things just thinking about what anna said about the team going out on the street that i loved and kind of observed as we were doing it was just it felt like um an amazing leveler and and an amazing kind of revealer of where our hearts are at that it's not just about being in church we're happy to do this on a platform on a stage whatever and in that kind of moment that bubble of sometimes you can get there suddenly we're really happy to do this on the street in front of other people and just say actually we love you lord right out there and i just thought that was incredible Awesome. Great. Well, that was uh, our live chat for this episode and um, looking forward to the next one. Next up, we have our song feature. This is Up and Alive by Luke and Anna Hillebrand. written by you Luke Nick Herbert uh, Jimmy James is part of our church here yeah. and a brilliant friend of ours uh, David Osby is a Norwegian worship pastor tell us how yeah. did the song come about yeah well um, Nick and I got together with Jimmy and David and um, pretty unashamedly we were like we'd love to write an up-tempo song you know we could always do with more of those um, in the church so uh, that was kind of the sentiment and then Nick you had this phrase right so I had this phrase, I noticed a lot of our songs, they use the word alive. And so I came up with this phrase, I don't know how, whatever, but just up and alive. And actually it ended up, um, ended up putting it in another song that got recorded um, on an album. And then, um, then we got together and we wrote, and it just felt like this phrase slotted in so well. Yeah 
into this new song. So I had to sort of go back to everyone on the first song and say, is it okay? Do you mind if we kind of use it? And they were so amazing and just incredible and just said, yeah, no worries at all. That's fine. So we um, we put it in this new song and, and it just seemed to work really well. Yeah, I think um, the thing that we're trying to unpack is, you know, why are we alive in Christ? And the chorus obviously talks a lot into the, the freedom that we have in Christ, the fact that Christ is risen. Um, and, and what he did for us on the cross and what that meant, what that means for us as, as Christians, as believers. Um, and so it's, it's a really fun journey. It's like super quick. Um, you know, it feels like one of those songs you throw into the set first up and it just, um, yeah, it's been feeling good. Yeah, we've loved uh, using it at church. It's great seeing other churches use it. And as I said, it's part of uh, Luke and Anna, your album, Motions of Mercy. Anna, just quickly tell mm. us, what is kind of the, the vision and the narrative of your album? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been great fun just being able to record this album, Motions of Mercy. And I suppose it's, it's a collection of songs that we've been gathering over um, the, the last few years. Um, and I suppose really the heart of it or why it's called Motions of Mercy is, um, you know, being part of this community here at Gas Street and um, being rooted in, in all that's going on here. Um, you know, there's, you experience massive highs and joys and, and lows as well. You know, for us in this last year, we had a baby and that's been the most, you know, the deepest joy, like unimaginable. Um, but at the same time, walking w closely with friends who at the very same time as we were going through that lost yeah. a baby in, in, in pregnancy. And so like the deep sorrow of that. And so I suppose, so the title Motions of Mercy hopefully articulates that, you know, the, the reality of life that that it, it is full of of deep joy and that and that's that's right you know that god is is amazing and and blesses us with these incredible things but also there's there's brokenness and mm. there's deep sorrows that each of us go through but somehow and i don't know how this works there's a mystery around both of those things being under our amazing god and and both being okay Mm. Um, in tension with, with each other at the same time. So that's brilliant. Well, it's a fantastic album. iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. CD. 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 Yeah. Vinyl, yeah. In the, in the car. No, in the no vinyl, yeah. Not no. vinyl, I'm afraid. <laughs> A couple of months ago, um, Herbs and I were at Bethel. We were doing some songwriting and a couple of sessions that we had were with Sean Foyt, who's an amazing uh, worship leader, songwriter. And some of uh, what he carries um, in life really is around this whole thing of worship mission, worship evangelism, which we looked into uh, earlier in the episode. And Nick and I managed to get some time with him uh, and interview him. So check this out. It's so interesting. <laughs> We're just in the middle of this conversation around worship and evangelism, uh, mission, all that stuff. Now, Sean, um, you've been involved in this kind of stuff for many, many years, 24-7, sorry, burn 24-7, worship, mission, traveling. What, what does it really look like for you on a lifestyle level to connect worship and mission, worship and evangelism, you know, the whole overflow yeah. thing. What, how would you define it? What does it look like for you, that outworking of that in your life? Well, I feel like um, you can't give what you don't have. I think it's important for us to, like, like be the living embodiment of our songs. Mm. And, like, I mean, it's, it's easy to, like, 
put a set list together and do three fast and three slow and put a nice ribbon and bow on it. But it's another thing to literally become the prophetic fulfillment of what we're singing. Mm. And I think that we're kind of moving into a day, I, I feel like we're spirit and truth you know, worshiping in spirit and truth is what we're commanded to do means that we, we mean what we sing. <clears throat> means that we're like literally doing and, 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 and believing and, and standing for the things that we're singing. And so for me, that looks like, you know, we, we just recently finished an album where we were singing a lot about the marginalized and the oppressed and the lost and the broken and mm. It's you can't really sing about the you can't sing about that unless you're really doing something. And so, mm. you know, being involved in the refugee crisis and being involved in the inner inner city ministry and launching several initiatives to become the hands and feet of Jesus, I feel like gives us authority to then sing about it. Yeah, great. And um, and I and I yeah I feel like you know we're a very you know justice oriented generation that's charged with that and sometimes that can that can be hijacked and and kind of just be directed towards saving the baby seals which it's not bad <laughs> need to save the baby seals but but the gospel is good news for yeah. the down and outers yeah you know yeah. it's good news for the refugees it's good news for the marginalized mm. what's the dynamic for you you know you travel loads you <clears throat> go to loads of different nations refugees but also what does mission and that worship overflow look like for you on a local level yeah i mean i like tonight when i put my kids to sleep i always get my guitar and we i have them each pick a, their favorite chorus and we get around their bed and we sing it together and i i don't like i feel like my heart is to raise up my family in the context of worship to where it's not just a platform thing it's not mm. just a once a week thing that they see their dad or their parents do or a conference or an event but it's it really is becomes who we are as a family it's yeah, a lifestyle so thing yeah really. and that translates as well like you know when you go into places like like we do a lot of times behind enemy lines and in war zones and in closed countries where no one really cares you know, where your song is on the CCLI chart and if they know it or they don't. And <laughs> they just want to, they're just hungry to encounter Jesus, you know. And if you're able to stay consistent in those places and let your worship is consistent, whether or not your, your in-ear monitor mix is amazing, which always, it always is at Bethel, but, you know, <laughs> you know, 95% of the church isn't, doesn't live or worship or even sing like we do. So mm. I feel like in order to get God's heart for the nations and to really live the life of worship, you you actually have to get out from your normal routine and you have to have to get out on the highways and byways. And for some people that may look like getting a plane ticket and going to an unreached place. And mm. for others, it may look like you know, like we were talking earlier, getting your guitar and going down to the subway station or whatever, yeah. going down to the tube. And, yeah. you know, uh, the, the the promise of God is that worship is going to fill the earth. Mm. And the amazing thing about worshipers is we're a part of seeing that prophecy fulfilled. Mm. So good, yeah. 
I was in Israel uh, a, a month ago, and I had this thought that hit me. It hits me almost every time I'm there, but it was just like a fresh, a fresh reminder to me. And I think it, I think it was a reminder because I was driving up to to our first service at Bethel the, just a few days earlier on Sunday morning and I was driving up and it was before 6 a.m. and I was like, oh, this is so early. I haven't even <laughs> had coffee. We've all been there. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, and uh, and sometimes you can, you can forget kind of the global part that you play in the end time narrative of Jesus coming to earth. Mm. And so anyway, fast forward a couple days later, I'm in, Standing on the Mount of Olives, I'm looking at the Eastern Gate of Jerusalem. This is the real estate that, you know, he promises to return to First Thessalonians. Jesus is coming back. His feet are going to touch on the Mount of Olives. Mm. He's going to walk through the Eastern Gate. You know, it's like, it's not a debatable thing. It just is going to happen. And this thought hit me that every time we... We, we, we go to an early sound check and we're unraveling our quarter inch to plug into the direct box and we're getting our Sorry, monitor. Sorry, can I just, that's a just translation. He means a jack to jack for those listening yeah, in the jack UK. To jack. <laughs> jack to jack. And we're, uh, we're getting our monitor mix and we're, you know, trying to warm up our voice yeah. from a, an ungodly hour of... Switching heating on. Rehearsal, switching heating on. It's just like every act that we do is is unto. Mm. It's not unto just having a cool church and making our band sound better, which those are great things. Mm. But it's unto the return of a man to a place, like in a, in a historical event that's going to happen. Mm. He's returning back to a place, and it says the spirit and the bride say, "Come," which means. We are literally a part of that chorus of the earth saying, we welcome you, King Jesus, Mm. to return back to take what's rightfully yours. And so Mm. anyway, standing there on the Mount of Olives, it just was like, oh, this is all going to be so worth it. And every sacrifice that we have to pay, you know, getting up at 6 a.m. before having a flat white is (laughs) well worth it because he's returning to the earth and we're a part Mm. of that sound. So good. Thanks, Sean. Yeah. Let's take it to the bridge. Next up, we have Nick Herbert, as we're calling Herbs on this podcast, who's going to give us a songwriting tip for today. So, Nick, over to you. Thank you, Anna. And, um, and yeah, the bridge is here. So yeah, excited. The bridge is here. <laughs> You've heard so of The excited. Rock, and Nick looks nothing like him. <laughs> so we got the bridge instead. <laughs> Polar opposite. Um, uh, yes, well, all you fellow songwriters listening to this, um, got a little, um, little bit of wisdom here. Who has seen... Uh, the Coldplay film, Head Full of Dreams. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, amazing. Um, little fact for you as well, I was at the same university as Chris Martin. No way. Ooh, same time, wow. he was in a different halls of residence. Oh wow. my, how life could have been so what different. Could have been? But, um, <laughs> he says this incredible thing on that film and he just says this, um, all the best songs we have written were finished in 10 minutes but you have to write for hours and hours to have those 10 minutes. Mm. And honestly, I can say I've never written a song in 10 minutes. I don't know if (laughs) anyone here has written a song in 10 minutes flat. Um, But you do hear about some of the best songs, really. They don't take that long to write. But what I love about what he's saying is that 
we don't need to despise the hours and hours when we don't necessarily feel like we're having the 10 minutes. Mm. And I think that's a really big thing for us mm. as songwriters, particularly for me. I find that um, is that you can easily think, well, unless I'm really sensing that spark straight away, uh, might as well just give up or I'll just sort of retreat a bit. Yeah. What he's saying is you need all of those hours. You've got to put them in to find those 10 minutes and they're going to help you recognize those 10 minutes. So that's my little thought for you. Very good. Amazing. Um, really good. Yeah. Go for hours and hours and enjoy the 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I think what's really interesting on that as well is that you always just said about recognizing the 10 minutes. Yeah. That's really helpful. Like how do you recognize when mm. something has landed that is worthy mm. of spending more time on? I mean, mm. what, what do you guys mm. think on that? What are some of the, Tips. I think, I, I I don't know, I think you know, like gut instinct, I know when something's a good idea and when actually I'm trying to push something through that maybe doesn't have the mojo, you know. I mean, it makes me think about about the uh, Malcolm Gladwell outliers thing of, you know, it's 90, 10% inspiration, 90% perspiration. And it's that thing, isn't it? Well, the 10% is the 10 minutes. Um, so it's, it's that thing of like, Oh, th- those moments are amazing, but then it's like so much hard work to get to that place of, well, you reach the, the top, don't you? I think as well, it's, it's seeing the thing as a whole, yeah. you know, and recognizing that everything matters, everything counts, yeah. nothing is wasted. You know, every time you go into a session, uh, if it's like two hours long and you're writing with someone, that is going to be so important. It's going to inform, it's going to help you. And that's the only way that you can then recognise the 10-minute moments of inspiration, I think. And Ed Sheeran said this thing, which I thought was really helpful, that actually if you are writing a bad song and you know it's bad, you have to finish it (laughs) in order to get it out of your system to get onto the next good song. Mm. So, yeah, I find that helpful. I think as well with creativity, this thing of waste, and when we're all trying to be so efficient and effective in the world today... Um, waste is not something we like, but actually mm. yeah. art is around wasting time yeah. because yeah. so much of it is edited out, is not used, but it's a process to get to that mm. beautiful thing. And I think that can be really hard for worship leaders on staff when you're working in a church and there's expectations that you're going to get a job done, rotors, mm. meet goals, and you could spend a whole day writing something and nothing comes of it and mm. you know as a pastor you could be thinking well I'm not paying for well, the, the, the complicated conversations that I think yeah. the church need to be better at having but as artists we need to embrace waste to get to the 10 minutes good hey well that's all we've got time for it's so good to be back Worship Central Podcast thank you for listening uh, we'd love to hear from you if you've got any questions things you'd like us to talk about then email in podcast at worshipcentral.org and also if you've enjoyed this subscribe tell your friends and let's build a great community together we'll see you soon